Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so excited that you are here. My name is Amanda Joy Loveland, and I am your host for this podcast, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. This is for sure a passion project and something that's very close to my heart and something I never thought I would be doing. We are sharing our stories of why we left religion, what we've learned through it, and how we moved through it with as much ease and grace as possible. This is a place of community and gathering and is not a place for bashing. So I am excited to welcome you to the conversation and welcome you to my show. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day this finds you and wherever you are in the world. I hope you are doing fantastic. And I am so thrilled and so excited and honored to be launching this podcast and be doing this as my first episode. This first episode is just going to be me so that you can get to know me as the host of this podcast a little bit more before we start diving into some of the amazing, amazing guests that I have already started interviewing. And wow, like I I am so excited. Like I get chills thinking about it. But I am so excited to be able to start sharing these interviews with you here soon. My podcast will drop every Wednesday and we will have continue to have guests. Some of them are couples, just the stories and the vastness of the the experiences that my guests have gone through and the beauty of what has transpired since then is truly, truly astounding and is one of the many reasons why I'm I've been really grateful to be able to have this opportunity to to do this podcast. Now, I have been someone that I have been an entrepreneur for many, many years, someone who loves to create and really follow my heart. Like most of us in the world, we have gone through different things in our life where we've had successes and failures. And as I've kind of grown and progressed in my journey, I have loved creating and the creations that I love doing the most are the ones that feel inspired, that come in and they they kind of knock you off a little bit with what gets to be created. And a couple years ago, I was actually writing another book. I've written a book. Um, well, to back up just a little bit, I ran a clothing business for 12 years of my life called ModBod. Some of you may or may not be familiar with that. And I'll dive into that a little bit more later, maybe. But I closed my doors in 2019. And I always knew I would write a book. And so I I was surprised that when I closed my business, that was the next thing of, okay, where am I going next in my life? And I wrote a book, I published it, it was a very vulnerable, raw, authentic book. And I had it out for about a year, and then I burned it. And if you go to my Instagram, you can actually see more about why I burned it. But um, when I was writing that book, and towards the end of it, I had a, a large download or inspiration for another book. And the book was titled Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. Now, I knew... I knew to the core of me that this book got to be written not from a place of hatred, of malice, of attacking, of anger, of the injustices, none of that. I knew I knew that it could not be written in that way. And I was both excited and a little nervous as far as this book that was coming in. And I really had to sit with it. Can I write this book in 
in that space? And at the time, the answer was no. And I was, as as we heal and as we go through our healing process, especially with religion, it's often that we have layers of healing that we will go through. And when that book came in and I was really asking that question within myself, can I, can I do this? I had a huge layer of healing that came up around the patriarchy that got to be healed. Now, and I'll get into my story here in a minute. I was one that didn't leave with hatred and anger. And so I was surprised when that hit. So that book two years ago, I kind of put it on the shelf. That idea um, was on the shelf. And as I trans, I'm a shaman, I'm a shamanic practitioner. I'm currently studying NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. I facilitate retreats, I do private sessions, and have just been on more of this, this path for quite some time and have really, really loved it, especially once I close my, my business have really shifted more into this healing path and, and really creating avenues for others to find healing. And as I have done that, the book came back in this year, actually, and it was time to write it. And I'm in a place now where, yes, I can create it. And with that, it felt very strongly to do a course. So I started writing and creating a 13-week online course um, that will also be an interactive course because I, I really struggle not being involved in the process um, with something as sensitive like this with religion. And I was seeing so many people in my private practice and just in my, my network in general that were going through the processes and the grieving stages of leaving Mormonism and getting stuck. And I kept, I was kind of involved. I was curious to kind of see the areas in the community and was getting involved in private groups and just seeing how much hatred there was and how much attacking and how much bashing. And I get it. I get it on all levels. And there is a time and a place for that. The kicker is, is when we get stuck in that and what I've seen in the work that I do, when we get stuck in that, it doesn't allow us to move forward because we are, we are stuck and we're actually still stuck in the religion. Even though we've stepped out of it, we're still holding on to some aspect because we're still being a victim to what happened. We're still blaming the patriarchy, the doctrine, the people, whatever it is we're still in. Every time we have any kind of triggers like that or hatred or angst or malice, you're still giving your energy to that system. And so as I was writing this course, felt like it was something that I really wanted to do. I was actually starting to create another podcast with a beautiful friend of mine, Jessica. It's another podcast called What is Personal is Universal. And I sent the first episode to a good friend of mine just to ask her for feedback. And as she was listening to it, something in it sparked her, she, her curiosity. And she said to me, Amanda, you need to create a podcast that's all around the leaving religion because she knew I was writing this book, doing this course. And when she said that, my whole body got chills. Like it was a whole body. Yes. And very rarely do I get those whole body yeses, but those are those defining moments where you know that it's not only a yes, but a hell yes. So I said yes and started creating this. And as I've started creating this and really sitting in this space of really putting all of this into form, it has been quite a humbling opportunity for me personally to revisit some of these aspects and now to sit down with these guests that I've had and the different experiences they've had and the amount of love that 
has been felt and exchanged and experienced is, is powerful. It's truly powerful. So a little bit about my, my story. I was born and raised in Utah and Orem, Utah, which if you know anything about Utah, <laughs> Utah is the capital of Mormonism. And so I was born and raised in the Mormon religion and born and raised in the bubble. And as I grew up Mormon, I did all the things, all the things that were Mormon, we did it. And I, there were some things that as I grew up in it, I struggled with at a young age, I struggled with some of the, the gossip and the cattiness, and I could see, see those parts, but it was still my world. It's what I knew. And as a teenager, I would read the scriptures um, every day, and I found a lot of peace and solace in them, although I didn't love the whole personal progress stuff. I didn't go to seminary because I didn't. It just, there were some things that didn't quite align, and, and I very much was choosing into this Mormon religion. My first serious high school boyfriend was a few years older than I was, and he, while he was Mormon, he wasn't really Mormon and wasn't going to go on a mission. And so as we started dating, uh, you know, me marrying one day, a return missionary was really important. And so we would have conversations and about religion. And I would share scriptures, I would give him Jesus pictures. And, and um, ultimately, he did end up serving a mission. And, and that was that was great. But um, yeah, I, I did all the things I speaking of that boy, we had natural urges as teenagers. And we did things that prevented him from going on a, a mission. So we had a bishop, I had a bishop actually that told me that we were living in sin and we needed to get married, which was one of those things that my dad, when I came home and told him he, it was one of my first lessons that these are just men, even though they are called of God, they are still just men. And I still have my, I get to still make my own choices. Now the irony behind that is my dad also had his, his, this is how you should live your life type mentality that he was applying into my life. And he did it from a place of love and what he knew and trying to protect his little girl. So long story short, we get engaged, I go off to college, I break off the engagement, fall into a depression, move back home, I had moved out to Virginia. And um, my ex fiance ended up you know, preparing to go on a mission. He felt like that was the next thing that he he got to do. So as he did that, my world unraveled. And I'm 19. I'm trying to figure out who the hell I am. The trajectory that I thought I had for my path was now unraveling and unwinding. And one of the biggest cores of that was the Mormon religion as far as why it was. And so I started rebelling from, and maybe rebelling is not the right word. I was really trying to find myself. And I ended up living, getting an apartment. I ended up meeting another guy and started dating. We ended up living together. I wasn't going to church. I was kind of withdrawing from my family. I wasn't, you know, I was going against the family system. And so there was a lot of things that were really challenging around that time. I had moved out to Seattle for a short period of time. And during that phase in my life, I was really depressed really depressed and had some suicidal moments and some really dark nights of the soul. And in one of those moments, I had reached out to my parents and had asked for help. And so we went and saw, they flew out. I got an appointment with a psychiatrist out there and we went in to go sit down with a psychiatrist. 
And he told me I could have diagnosed you over the phone. You have bipolar. There's no question. My, you know, my parents felt like, thank God, here's an answer to why I'm behaving the way that I am. To me, it was, you know, I didn't, okay, I guess I have bipolar. And here's the medicine, Depakote and what other, other things that, that I was put on. I moved back home. And the thing that was beautiful about that experience, though, I ended up going, you know, starting to kind of figure my way back, trying to figure my way back into the family system to be accepted, loved, trying to go back to church. I'd go back into the chapel and to sacrament and I would feel I wouldn't feel good there. And as I was talking to someone, I think it was my family members, I can't remember. They would tell me, well, it's because you're carrying guilt. You need to go, you know, you need to repent have forgiveness, et cetera, et cetera. So I took that as a reason why. And I was really trying to get back to the to the good graces of everyone because clearly something was wrong with me. And I later had a therapist that I so appreciate to this day that said to me, you know, especially bipolar was misdiagnosed quite a bit back then. And especially in Utah and with the Mormon aspect with youth, there's this idea of looking in the mirror syndrome where you look in the mirror and you see who you think you should see based off of what your family system, what the church, all sorts of things tells you you should see. And then you also see this other reflection. And so you bounce back and forth between the two of who you feel like you are and who you feel like you're told you should be. And so it's this back and forth kind of action, which would sometimes present as being bipolar. And my bipolar diagnosis was a a misdiagnosis, and that's a conversation for another day. But it was, in, in a lot of ways, it was a godsend, and I'll touch back on this in a minute. I mean, everything in our life really is is there to teach us and and experiences for us to have learning and growth. And this was one of those. But as I started kind of coming back, you know, moving back home and and getting a job and kind of going back into now trying to figure out my life, it was natural that I wanted to find my person. So I started online dating. I met a man. My family liked him. They approved of him. He seemed to have everything together. He was Mormon. And we got married and very quickly, very, very quickly. And we lived, we were married for almost 12 years, had four kids together. And during that time, I was Mormon. I was all in and we were sealed later. We weren't sealed in the temple right away, but we were sealed later and just had all these different events that we did, had the callings, blessed our children, baptized our children, and did did all the things. And I remember, you know, the the when you go into an endowment session, and I've understood and heard that they've changed this. Um, but the first time I sat in the chat in in this session. And it's asked as men communicate to God and women are to bow their heads and say yes to communicating to their husbands who then communicate to God, that they don't have a direct communication to God. I remember feeling like this was so wrong, but I bowed my head and said yes anyway, because, you know, we were symbols of Eve and Eve was a sinner because she listened to Satan, you know, as the story transpires in, in the temples. And yeah, I really struggled with that one. However, I lived it. I 100% trusted the patriarchs in my life, my husband, my dad, more than myself. And so my marriage, I did that 
for several years and really lost who I was. And that was okay. I chose into it. I chose into that life. I chose into the religion. And there's a lot of peace and joy that it did bring into my life. I loved the community. There was a lot of, I loved the hymns at the time. Now, if I go back and I listen to the hymns, I'm like, how did I not see this before? And, um, but at the time, I really found a lot of peace in it. I had different callings. And one of my last callings was gospel doctrine teacher. And we were in a newer ward and we were some of the youngest. We were, I feel like we were probably the youngest family that lived in the ward. And so when I was brought into the bishop's office and, asked if I would accept this calling, I was kind of taken back because I was not someone who, while I read my scriptures and I was Mormon, I was not that kind of Mormon. I'd never read the Book of Mormon front to back. I had, you know, I I didn't know the doctrine like a missionary would or anyone who's really truly studied the scriptures. So I was really, yeah, I wasn't, it was one of those callings that was like, holy shit, can I really do this? And not to, not to mention, I also had former stake presidents in my audience for in the class. So it was a little overwhelming, but I did it. And I did that for a few years. And it ended up being one of those huge gifts of I loved teaching. I didn't know this before, but I loved teaching. I loved speaking. I loved getting up in front of this group and sharing what I learned and and the knowledge that I've received and the inspiration that I received. And I loved leaving the class with something to think about during the week that maybe they hadn't thought of before. A new idea, a new thought, something to contemplate that would shift a little bit of the paradigm and the way that they they saw this topic of whatever it was that I was teaching on. And I loved it. And as I was doing this and going through a few years, my ex and I, or my husband at the time, we had started running companies. I mentioned I had a company, ModBot, and that was one of the companies that we had um, in the later stages of our marriage. And I was re- I'm was i really grateful to this day that we ended up going into business together. Because as we did that, and I had experiences for several years in our marriage as being a mom and I love being a mom and and now shifting into and now we're going to buy this business and we're going to run this business together. I I loved working. I loved working. I loved being an entrepreneur and I was good at it. And up until that point and in my relationship, um, my husband was not one that was super supportive of me. Uh, was very belittling. Um, and and just I don't want to get into a whole lot of that. But I really doubted who I was for a very long time, and really conformed to what I was supposed to do. But as we started having this business, and this was my money as well that was going into this, I was invested in making this successful. And not only that, it was a women's clothing company. So of course, I'd be involved. And as I did that, and and we started diving into this, and I loved working. I looked at hiring a nanny. And <laughs> at this time, I don't know how many years ago this was now, like that was really frowned upon. It was, you know, as Mormon women, your number one job is to be mothers and wives, right? It's shifting now, but back then, and again, I wish I could remember, I think it was 2009, something around there. My Yeah, my sister and I decided, hey, why don't we share a nanny together. So it's not full time. And let's call her a mother's helper. Like that was something that was like, okay, this is kind of like, not 
a hundred percent. Yes, I'm a working mother and here's my full-time nanny. And as I really had to navigate the guilt and the shame that I carried with wanting to work and bringing someone else in to help help raise my kids. And my husband too, at the time really struggled with that. Your number one job, he would tell me is to be a mother. And that just went against some of my inner wiring. I loved running a business. I loved being involved in that. And I wanted to do that. And I wanted to be a mother. Why can I not do both? And so I did. And I navigated through some of that. And and again, it was just one of those things that was interesting to bump up against to get around the belief system and the community and, and whatnot. But as we started to do business together, I was able to start really seeing more and more of who my husband was, which again, was a godsend. It was really challenging in a lot of ways and ultimately is what unwound our marriage. And as our marriage started unwinding, I was also leaning more into spirituality. And I was always really intrigued with energetics. My entire life, I was intrigued with energetics. And really, when my when I had gotten that diagnosis of bipolar, some things came into my life around energetics that were really healing for me. And so I was grateful to have that experience to see how there is another aspect of our world that I didn't know of, and I wanted to learn more. And so around this time, I was exploring too some of the spirituality. Now, it never to me was a, I'm not going to be Mormon by doing these things. It was just one of those, those aspects that just seemed to be naturally wired and ingrained in me that I wanted to explore more. So towards the end of our marriage, I actually was learning and studying Reiki. And if you know anything about Reiki or you don't know anything about Reiki, Reiki's definition is healing by laying on of hands, which is comical again, because here I am Mormon and here I'm learning a modality, a spiritual modality, an energetic modality that is healing by laying on of hands, which is what the priesthood do. The priesthood holders heal by laying on of hands, give blessings by laying on of hands. And the women do not have that that privilege. But here I am learning how to heal by laying out of hands. And at the same time, I was also starting to meditate. I was also starting to come into this place of, of finding something outside of me that felt greater. Now, when I was going through any woman has had some aspect, any mother, I should say, has more than likely had some aspect of depression after she's had children. It's normal. Our hormones go through this cycle, especially with having having babies. And I I did that. I had different cycles with with my children after I would have them. Now I I wasn't I had stopped taking medication when I was like 23 years old. So for the rest of my life, I never had any of those issues anymore with bipolar, but I would swing. I would have depression and I would have those moments and I would have some really really dark moments. And I remember one moment so vividly and that brought me to my knees of feeling so alone and so just in that dark place and that depressed place and just feeling in such a dense cave that, and I had been here before. I had been here many times before. And I knew I had gotten to a place to where I knew myself well enough. I knew when I was starting to drop, I would ask my husband for a uh, priesthood blessing, which I was always grateful for because there was always insight and something in there that helped give me little cords almost to be able to ropes in a sense to pull myself out of that hole. I would give myself three days and I would ultimately end up pulling myself out of that, out of that hole. And 
I really was able to start knowing my edges really, really well and knowing that I could overcome those edges really, really well. Now, this is my experience and what I learned. But there was later on in my childbearing years and after I had had my last baby, I had another moment of just feeling so alone and I hadn't had one for a while. So it took me a little off guard because I, I felt like I had, I was doing better in general with these, these moments of depression. And I felt like I was doing all the things right. All, you know, I just all the things. And I, I fell to my knees one day because I was so overcome with just emptiness. And I remember just praying in my head to God and being so mad because I was trying to connect to something. And this God that's never supposed to leave us was not there. There was nothing there for me. And I was so angry. And this is one of the one of the reasons why it started propelling me to actually meditate to going into meditation and to learning meditation and learning that ability to how to connect to something else that was higher than ourselves. Because this Mormon God, I was really struggling with. And I had always struggled. I never really quite connected with this whole Jesus in Gethsemane and that he died for our sins. And I I really always struggled with that. Something about that never really resonated, but I just kind of wrote it off as something was wrong with me. Something was wrong with me that I couldn't get up in front of the pulpit and bear my testimony and how I know that Christ died for my sins. And I just never, I just thought that that was, I, there was something wrong with me and my ability to connect. And part of it I thought was because of, you know, I had problems with depression and God left me when I was in those moments. So something must be fundamentally wrong. So I started seeking for something else to fill some of these voids. And as I did that, my spiritual gifts grew, which seemed ironic to me because here I'm doing all the things in Mormonism and I should have these spiritual gifts. But yet when I'm starting to turn into energetics and to spirituality and meditating, my gifts are now turning on. And I'm starting to recognize these other abilities and access to things that I had never understood before coming in. And I went to go, again, as I'm doing this, I had, and I'm also navigating my marriage that's starting to unravel. And so never did it cross my mind that I was done with Mormon religion. I, it, had not, it had not even crossed my mind. So I'm going to give a lesson in gospel doctrine. My husband and I are separated. He's living downstairs and we were not telling anybody we were getting divorced. We, our kids were young. We didn't want to, we, we weren't ready to, to tell anybody yet. And I went to go bear my testimony at the end of my lesson. And as I went to go bear my testimony, my, everything went blank and I had nothing to say. And the only thing I could bear my testimony in was love and light. It was the shortest testimony I've probably ever given since maybe I was eight years old. And I had an instant knowing I was done with this religion. I was done with this religion and I could feel, I could see it. I just, I knew it to every fiber of my being that there was something more. Now to me, it just felt like this was great. And now it's time for the next step. It wasn't a, this was great and holy crap, look at all the things that were wrong. And it it wasn't that, it was just, I knew, I knew I was done. And the irony is, is my soon to be ex-husband was sitting in the back of my class and he said to me, Hey, the the bishop said he wanted to see you. I swear I had nothing to do with it. It was kind of a comical moment for me because he was panicking, thinking, 
thinking that I would be upset that he had said something. It was just, and maybe he did, and I really don't care. To me, it was one of those moments of um, pure coincidence and actually beautiful synchronicity. As I went and sat in the bishop's office, he released me from my calling, and it was just another indicator of, yeah, I'm done. I'm done with this. So in 2012, I told my family I was getting divorced, and if you <laughs> telling your family that you're getting divorced, that's based in Mormonism. And none of my siblings had, um, nobody has gotten divorced to this day. I'm the only one in my family that's been divorced. That was challenging it alone. Just that alone was really hard. And there wasn't too, it wasn't, you know, in Mormon religion, it's often that there needs to be some excuses for why. Well, did he cheat on you? Was there pornography involved? Was there, you know, instead of he's actually, I don't like this person that I married to and we've tried all these things and I, I, there's, I cannot and I will not raise my children in an environment like this any longer. And it was challenging. And on top of that and on the heels of it, now I was leaving Mormon religion. So you can imagine that that was quite a challenging moment in my life. And 2012 was quite a catalyst year for a lot of us. And 2012 was really one of those years that really started assisting me and propelling me forward into really the life that I was meant to live and the life that I'm really living now. And as I was unwinding my life, unwinding not only my family, I was also consciously choosing out of this religion that is so deeply seated in family. It was hard. I was, however, very fortunate to have a friend group around me that were stunning and very supportive. And I had people in my world that were able to really assist me in, in transitioning out. And I, at one of the moments in, as I was trying to decide if this was a choice that I wanted to make or not, I had actually reached out. I had heard about a woman who had these spiritual abilities. She's now actually a really beautiful, great, amazing friend of mine who her and I do retreats together. But at the time I had just heard about her, I reached out, I sat in her living room and um, we had a conversation and anybody who's choosing to leave out, leave religion almost always looks to other outside help to tell them what to do because you're so used to that in religion. And so when your world starts stripping out from underneath you and you start trying to go, wait, is my intuition right or is it wrong? Can I trust myself? Can I trust this process? You, they usually, well, we will start looking for outside people to tell us what to do. And this was one of those moments of just trying to find some insight. Am I doing the right thing? So I'm sitting in front of this woman and I'm telling her that, hey, can you give me some insight with I'm thinking about leaving religion and leaving Mormonism. And ultimately, you know, it was one of those conversations of this is only a, a decision that only you can make. However, when you are looking for this is one of the biggest gifts she gave me at the time when you are looking for a sign, you can ask for a sign of knowing being shown if you're on your right path. And the sign will come in the form of a butterfly. And it gave me some assurance and some comfort of, okay, I can ask. I can ask and I can still have access to something outside of myself, even if I'm choosing out of Mormonism. I can still ask my guides, angels, whatever it is, to still show me that I'm okay. And 
this was a really huge gift to me and I'll share a little bit in a little bit why. So I had this moment, I had different things in my life where I was starting to have opportunities where I was starting to see more of who I really was. Now that came in the form of um, energetic healers for me. And I had asked, I had asked the universe to show me things, to show availability, to show me access of, of the things that I could find in my life. And as I was going through this, my mom had reached out. Now we'd already had some conversations and she, in fact, one day she'd asked if she could come over because we had talked mainly over phone and hadn't really seen each other because again, this was a really challenging decision and I knew I was going against the grain of my family and she had asked to come over and of course she could. And, and it was early spring and we were sitting outside and we were talking and we were having some of those hard conversations, but I was in such a place of knowing it was like, I was the eye of the tornado. Everything around me was, was spinning and whirling and I could see it, but I was so still in the center and I was really grateful for that gift that I had during that time. And I feel like for me, it's because I knew, I knew that this was for my best and highest good. I knew that what I was doing was in the best and highest good of my children. And I was grateful that I had that assurance. And as my mom and I were talking, we ended up moving over to the swing set and we're just sitting on the swings and talking and it started getting into, because first we were talking about the divorce and that kind of stuff. And my mom was being supportive of it and the things that had transpired and the things that I had shared with her, she was being supportive. And it shifted when we went over to the swings about religion and this was really the first time she was asking me if I was if I was choosing out. And it was a very hard conversation. And one of those heart-wrenching, will you still love me type conversations, even though I'm choosing no longer to be a part of this religion. And as we were sitting there and having this conversation, and again, this is early spring. There are no butterflies. There's nothing around. But a huge monarch butterfly comes and lands right on the chain of my swings that I'm holding. And you can imagine, especially for those of you that are listening who have left or are in the process of leaving, we feel alone. You feel so alone in those moments of wondering if, if there's anything out there. And so this was such a godsend moment to me that, that really hit my heart so deeply that I was so grateful that even as I was sharing these really difficult truths with my mother, I was being supported. And I had other, I had other things in my life that transpired that were definitely gentle assurances that yes, you're okay. Yes, this is okay. Yes, this is okay. Yes, this is okay. And a few months later, or maybe a few weeks, I truthfully don't remember. I had taken off my garments and my mom had reached out. And she she was trying everything she could to keep me in, which is understandable, right? And this is why this podcast is titled uh, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind, because there's this aspect of those that are still in that don't know really what to do. And they are taught, and we were taught too, that our missionary work, we bring people to the fold. This is the only true church on the face of the planet. And we're also somewhat conditioned that if we don't do our missionary work and if we don't fellow do our fellowship, that when we get into the afterlife, these loved ones will turn to us and say, why didn't you tell me? I At least when I was growing up and in my young adult years, that was what was taught to us through Relief Society and Sunday School. 
And so there was aspects, especially as my mom with her child, feeling like, wait a minute, how do I how do I help bring her back in that were at play? And so I was grateful that I actually had a lot of gentleness and and it wasn't too angsty with it. And as she called and she said, will you please go to the temple with me? I knew this was a big decision that I was making. And so I was willing to step into that space and really, really, truly, truly see. And so I told her yes. And I put back on my garments because I checked in to see if I was, this was an alignment. I still had a temple recommend and it felt like, yes, yes, this is a big decision. And yes, you owe it to yourself, to your family to really go and see. So I put back on my garments we went to a session and I I had the mentality and I had decided that when I went into this session, I would go in with a completely open mind, a completely open mind to be proven wrong that, yes, I should stay in this church or vice versa, that I was just there to observe and to witness. And as I went in, naturally, it is peaceful. It is peaceful in this space, this beautiful temple, everyone dressed in white, there's hymns playing. It is peaceful. And there was also something that felt off. And so I was aware of it and just noticing. I wasn't putting a label. I wasn't judging it. It just was. And as we went into the endowment session, we went through the whole session. I'd done that many, many times before. And as we got to the prayer circle, which again, I don't know if they're still doing the prayer circle. I assume they are. At this point in the endowment session, everyone was all dressed with their aprons, their hats. I, I've heard that the hats are gone too, and and I don't know. But there is a time in the session where they would invite only um, men and women from the congregation that wanted to be a part of the circle. There would have to be an even part of men to women, and they would do hand, you know, hold hand holds and have a hand up on the shoulder and and these things. And only the best of intentions would be allowed in the circle because I remember that was always a big to-do and my family would go if somebody was struggling with someone else. Would everybody be able to go into the circle? Anyway, but this, so we were at that moment in the session. And as the person that was leading the session, you know, asks or the sound turns on and asks for the women to veil their faces, I went to go put the veil over my face. And the minute I did that and looked up at the prayer circle, the thought that crossed my mind, the knowing that crossed my mind and my heart was, holy shit, I'm in a cult. And that was my, that was like that last final nail in the coffin that I was done. And my mom who, my mom has a lot of really beautiful spiritual gifts herself. She's very intuitive. So she knew, and at the end of the session, she knew that I had had that, that I was done. Now she didn't know exactly what it was, but she knew that I was, yep, I was done. And life transpired. Now, my family was not one that really engaged in, hey, why did you leave? And let's have the conversation. It was more avoidance. And really, my mom and my sister, my sister's now since left, and her and I have had many, many conversations. And my mom have had a, and I have had a few conversations. She knows somewhat of why I've left. And I'm grateful that she, she actually was never, ever really combative with it. She listened with an open heart, even though it bumped up against her belief system. But my family really never had the conversation. They really didn't want to know. And I know that part of it is because my family doesn't, we avoid difficult conversations. We don't have challenging conversations. We don't have those crucial conversations. And my oldest brother had taken me, 
maybe a year or two later, I can't quite remember, maybe a year later, we, he had taken me to lunch and we were sitting at lunch and he made a com- kind of a one of those moments where he just said, was talk- we were talking about religion and he just made that comment, oh, you'll be back. And I said, no, I won't. And he he just responded. It was kind of like that back and forth. Oh, yes, you will. And it was just kind of in joking. And I said, no, no, Jim, I won't. And he said, how can you be so sure? And my response was, because the God you believe in is not the God that I believe in. And the God, and I believe that we're actually all gods now. And his response was, that's egotistical, isn't it? And I just responded, is it? And that was the extent of the conversation that him and I had had. And, you know, one of the things, though, about my family, because I know a lot of family systems unravel when a loved one leaves, which is really, which is really sad. But one of the things about me and what I continued to choose doing was I still showed up. I still went in, even though I felt uncomfortable, even though it felt there was a lot of unease and dis-ease because here I am now wearing tank tops around my family. And I mean, this took a little time, of course, and eventually I would have a glass of wine at dinner when we went all out um, to dinner. And again, this took some time, but I... I would show up even when it felt uncomfortable because my family was important. Um, We have dinner almost every Sunday, at least once a month, if not every week, depending on everybody's schedule. We have, for the most part, been a fairly close family in that aspect that we, we spend a decent amount of time together. And I would still show up. And I remember one time actually being in Lake Powell with my family, and I was single at the time. And my mom said to me, we're sitting on the floor playing with toys with the kids or something. And she said, you know, I'm really, now my mom didn't say this very often. So this was a pretty like, holy cow, I can't believe you just said that. But she said, you know, I'm really proud of you. I'm, I'm, you, I believe she said something to the effect of you don't have to continue showing up and yet you do. And I'm sure she probably had conversations with other people where their children that left didn't show up. Because there is this interesting divide that happens. And I believe very strongly what happens when children leave. And again, this is why I'm doing the and those we leave behind is there's two different perspectives that now split. Now, the child self in me will say and not knowing really why I'm behaving a certain way, but there's an aspect of the child self within that's looking to our parents to still have unconditional love. Can you still love me even if I'm choosing against this family system that has been this religious system that has been a part of our family? Will you still love me? And that is a very difficult emotion to experience, especially when you're not conscious of it. And for the most part, this is an unconscious holding that happens and an unconscious wounding that happens. Now, what do you do with this? What do you do with a, when I'm saying this, actually that feels true. You get to sit with yourself and your inner child and sit with your inner child with him or her and have the conversation of what do you need to feel loved? What do you need to feel heard? What do you need to say to be witnessed, whatever it is, so that you know that you are loved? And you get to hold and cultivate that love, that self-love, that unconditional love within yourself for yourself. This is why when you're starting to transition into what's next and you start maybe dabbling into spirituality, you will see this all the time, how important self-love is. This is one of those moments of why. 
Because when we get to such a point in our lives to where we are so assured in who we are and we have such a deep self-love and a deep self-knowing of who we are, then it doesn't matter what the outside world is doing. It doesn't matter how the outside world is reflecting or acting towards us because we know that's not, that's not ours. We have such a deep self-love. We're not, we're not getting pinged upon these wounds. Now, Michael Singer, if you've ever listened or read any of his books, Michael Singer has a beautiful book, The Surrender Experiment. One of the things that he talks about is samskaras, and I love how he teaches on this. As we go through our lives, we have different events that create scars or samskaras is how I like to see it as scars on our hearts. And what will happen is something will happen in our outside world that will ping upon a scar that is within us. Now, here's the kicker. We may have a memory that we're still holding on to when we were five years old that is actually not the whole truth of what that memory was. Because we are having a wounded memory or wounded remembering of what transpired when that's actually not the full truth. So we walk through the li- our lives, we move through our lives, at having a viewpoint and a lens with all of these samskaras, all these scars. So when we get triggered, when we have these moments now that we're interacting with our family, we've chosen to step out of the family system that, hey, two of the strongest foundations of the church is what? We're here to get a human body and we're here to have eternal families. And if you're choosing out of the church, you also are choosing somewhat out of the eternal family as far as whether you're conscious or unconscious of it, that's what's happening. So now as you're interacting with the family that you're now choosing out of, you're going against the tribal system, against these belief systems that you've been brought up to believe, you're going to have triggers. Now, triggers are beautiful, beautiful tools and beautiful opportunities for you to be able to look within. They are not times to react. I'm going to say that again. Triggers, when we have those moments where somebody says something that it pings us so massively and we have that somatic physical response that we want to just lash out, that is the time to take a deep breath. And as two of my beautiful friends like to say, then to shut your mouth and allow for the emotion to pass and then give yourself the time and the space to go within and ask the question, why did this trigger me? What is the belief that I'm holding that this bumped up against? Now, this is not to say you don't get to have boundaries or that you don't get to have space. I have have gone through many times with my family where I have needed space and space can be and is quite healthy and everything in life cycles. And just because there's something that's happening right now in your life that may be challenging, it does not mean it will always be that way. The thing that you get to do is have your own sovereignty of how you want to react to whatever it is that's going on in your world. And here's the other thing. If you are angry, awesome. Use that anger as fuel to move through the emotions. You get to feel it. You get to feel all of the emotions, all the levels, all the things, because this is a death. This is a death and you get to go through the grieving stages. And part of grieving is anger. Now, when you actually allow yourself to really feel the anger instead of lashing out, that will uncover what's really underneath that because it's usually covering up deep sadness, deep sorrow, something else that's underneath there that's asking to be felt. But oftentimes I see so many people get stuck in the anger 
and they hang out there. They hang out there because it's much easier blaming and pointing fingers at a system that is fundamentally wrong, and this is why. Now, I will be the first to say there's a lot of things that I do not agree with. However, who am I to say that my way is better than someone else's? If my family, my mom, loves the Mormon religion, that is her world. It brings her peace. It brings her joy. It brings her happiness. Who am I to say that my way is better than what she's choosing? And vice versa. And here's the other thing. If you're choosing to have anger too, and you're still pointing and and blaming, you're still in that religion. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, you're still giving that religion your energy. You're still feeding it. You're still in. So I would advise you and I would recommend and what this podcast I'm hoping will assist you in is being able to move through these phases. One of the things that was the most difficult that I had experienced when I was going through this, and again, I didn't leave with, I didn't leave because I was angry. I didn't leave because something struck me as fundamentally wrong. I didn't, you know, the CES letters or something like that. That wasn't my experience. It was just a deep knowing that I was no, this was not my, my path any longer. I was done and there was something more. So I was surprised because I hadn't ever, I hadn't really actually checked in with this when my Mormon God died. When the God that I had believed in for so many years, I, I remember so vividly sitting in my sitting room in my bedroom, looking out the windows and looking at nature, which usually brings me so much joy. And it was so void of any kind of emotion because God had died. God was no longer alive in anything that I saw. And it was painful. My foundation had now completely, I mean, my foundation, I mean, I was, un- I unraveled all of my foundation. (laughs) And here was another piece that was dying as well was God. And those places that I like to call those spaces in between where our foundation and what we've known has died. And we start, it's like treading water there. We're like, holy shit, can I keep my head above water? I'm trying to breathe, but where am I going? I don't even know where I'm going. And we kind of, we can get into this frantic kind of space because nothing feels familiar anymore. And we're asking for something new to come in, but that new, we don't know. So it feels scary. There's that Marianne Williamson quote that I love, that we are more afraid of our light than we are of our darkness, of our shadows, because we know our shadows. We're familiar with them. We're comfortable with them. But the light, the unknown, the things that we say we're asking for, we've actually never felt. So they feel scary. And I've, I've come to a point in my life where I now know that when I start having those uncomfortable moments that I get to lean in because that's usually my indicator that I'm moving towards something, something greater. I'm lo- I'm moving towards a new experience and a new understanding that I get to deepen and strengthen. And often we're taught to resist those. We're taught that it feels bad. So that must mean it is bad and I am not going to choose in. And there are moments where that's true. There is a slight difference between the two. And a lot of times it's because we have this unconscious, this subconscious trigger that's going off of, wait a minute, this feels uncomfortable and I'm trying to keep you safe. And our unconscious mind likes to, ru- likes to run the show. And when we can actually start becoming more conscious of our unconsciousness, we really then do become the masters of our fate. We become the creators of our reality and we start having and seeing that beauty that we are creating in the world continually man- manifesting for us because we know what we're creating and we know we get to create. 
So with all of that, I think that is all I get to share for today in this very first episode, in this first episode of this new podcast that on so many levels, I I wish I had words to express the deep honor that I have for being able to do this and to offer this to you as a place of healing and a place of community. There's such a soul calling with this next phase that I'm shifting into with assisting people in stepping out of religion and stepping out with ease, with grace, with as much beauty as possible. And of course, it is not it's not going to be pretty, but the process itself is quite beautiful because of the the gifts and the strength and the aspects that you start cultivating that have always been yours is absolutely beautiful. So I, I am just deeply honored. If you are someone that wants to share your story, and again, sharing it from a place of, yes, this is my experience, and this is what I've learned and what I've grown and what I know now. I would love to have you on. Again, the people that I have lined up for interviews, man, they have absolutely amazing stories and I am thrilled to be able to share this with you. Please make sure and go on and follow this podcast and leave me a review. The more reviews that you guys leave me and then the more that you share it, it just is able to put this out into the world and really assist those that are feeling really alone. Because If I can help people not feel alone and have a little bit of comfort and a little, there's something that was said in this podcast and in every single podcast that assists someone in their journey of finding their home and their healing and coming back to the heart, that is the whole reason why I'm doing this. Also, make sure to follow me on my Instagram page, Amanda Joy Loveland, so that you can be first to know this 13-week course that I'm launching will actually be launched in August, I think, and I'm only limiting it to 14 people. I'm very, I'm someone who very much likes to have those individual touch points, and because this is such a delicate um, healing process, I want to be able to have a small enough group to where I feel like I there's still that intimacy. So I'm only limiting it to 14 people. If you're someone that is interested in that, um, DM me. I will be sending out an email shortly when I get every all the things pulled together, but that will be launching here in August. And then my book, we'll see when that launches. That's going to take some time to write because, again, it's just something that I, I – this podcast, this book, the course – There's such deep honoring and deep respect and just a place of integrity that I really want to hold with all this space in what it gets to be for the world. So with all of that, sending you all so much love and I hope you have a beautiful day and are able to see the beauty and the availability that you have in the world today.